Let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. And I want to read the portion of Scripture that we will be giving consideration to in the message this morning. We're jumping into the middle of a chapter. We're jumping into the middle of a chapter. a teaching and a interaction that Jesus Christ is having on the temple platform. And um, he has just broke the news to the religious leaders of Israel that they're all fired, that there's a change of command, they're out, and Jesus and his followers are in regarding the work of God on earth. And so they're not too excited, they're not too happy with the announcement Jesus has just made. So we'll pick up at verse number 19. Verse number 19, and the chief priests and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them, being the religious leaders. And they watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words so they might deliver him under the power and authority of the governor. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teacheth the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? And they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And they could not take hold of his words before the people. And they marveled at his answer and held their peace. Then came to him certain of the Sadducees, which deny that there is any resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If any man's brother die, having a wife, and he die without children that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. There were therefore seven brethren, and the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took her to wife, and he died childless. And the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died, and last of all the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? For seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die any more, for... For, uh, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. For he is not a God of the dead, 
but of the living. For all live unto him. Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said. And after that, they durst not ask him any question at all. And he said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord. How is he then his son? Then in the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. This morning during our Bible study fellowship hour, all of our Bible study fellowship classes from the Torch 516 youth group all the way up through our M&Ms received our weekly prayer sheet. And on our weekly prayer sheet this week, we have learned that one of the character traits of God that the church family is going to be meditating on this week is the character trait of his immutability, which is a big $10 word, which means unchangeable. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He declared that as one of his great attributes. He doesn't change. And how Jesus Christ dealt with people 2,000 years ago, if he were to show up today, he would deal with people the same way today that he dealt with people 2,000 years ago. He doesn't change. We're going to observe an amazing story in the life of Jesus Christ Passion Week that occurred on Tuesday, the day of his conflict with the religious leaders of Jerusalem. And on that day of conflict, a lot of things were happening. The Bible tells us that when he arrived on the temple platform on Tuesday morning, there were a great crowd of people wanting to hear what he had to say. They wanted to hear his teaching. And there were those who wanted to hear him preach the gospel. There are unsaved people that want to hear him preach the gospel. There are followers that want to hear what he has to teach today. But there was a great crowd of enemies. The religious leaders of apostate Judaism. And they are locked and loaded. They want Jesus Hide. Because yesterday, Jesus told them they were fired. And that he and his followers were taking over the work of God on earth. He drove out the, the money changers and all of the, the bizarre that was happening for the Passover. He said, this is my house and you've made it a den of thieves. And he took possession of what they had claimed as their property, he said, no, 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 this is my property. 
You have desecrated my property. You are fired. And they are mad. And so on Tuesday morning, they confronted Jesus with a question. Why do you think you have the authority to do what you did yesterday? So Jesus talked to them about his authority. Jesus Christ then told a parable, and the parable was, was a pretty strong parable in which Jesus Christ said, God has fired you and giving his work to a new set of leaders. And so that's where we pick up this morning. They said, we want to have him killed. Everyone knows the parable he just told was directed at we religious leaders, we false teachers. We've got to find a way to get rid of Jesus Christ before he goes any further. What we're faced with in the story of Jesus today is how Jesus Christ dealt with false religious teachers. Mind you, in front of him are unsaved people there to hear the gospel. Followers of Jesus Christ who want to learn something and false teachers who want him dead. And Jesus Christ is going to deal with the situation in front of him. Now, remember, God is immutable. If Jesus were here today, he would deal with people the same way today that he did on the temple platform because he is an immutable God. We'll be meditating on that this week. Do you understand that false religious teachers have always been around and they've always been a problem to the work of God? We read in the book of Acts chapter 20 about the danger. In fact, let me just turn over and read that. It's, it's a statement that comes from the Apostle Paul uh, toward the end of one of his missionary journeys. And the Apostle Paul said something to the church there that is so important. And fits right in with what Jesus Christ is doing in our story this morning. In Acts chapter 20, verse 27, Paul said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You see, it's important that preachers don't cherry pick what people want to hear. But that preachers preach the whole counsel of God. Preach the word, the instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They have itching ears and they want to find a teacher that will tickle their ears and make them feel good about themselves. Paul said to Timothy, no, 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 no. Preach the whole counsel of God. And so Paul said to the church leaders in Ephesus, he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Paul said there's going to be false religious teachers. Some of them will come up from within your own membership. They may be teaching some of your classes. They'll come from within the church. There'll be other false teachers that will come from outside the church and come into the church as false teachers. Paul said this is a danger. There's always the danger of false religious teachers. So Paul said in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. So Paul said, Because there are always false teachers around, I warned you of them. 
And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So what's the solution? Paul said the solution to false teachers is preachers need to warn the people of the false teachers. And then they need to preach the whole counsel of God. And then they need to encourage the people to build themselves up on the word of God's grace. The solution is religious leaders that will warn the church of false teachers. Religious leaders that will preach the whole counsel of God. Not cherry pick the things people want to hear. And preachers that will encourage the congregation to become Bible students. Read your Bible. Know your truth. Not your truth. Know God's truth from your Bible. This is the solution to false teachers. This is what Jesus is doing on the temple platform. With a mixed congregation of lost, saved, and false religious teachers that are leading a generation to hell. And Jesus Christ is addressing the situation in front of him. Our text ends... In verse number, if I can get back over to Luke here, ends with Jesus Christ in verse number 46 saying, Beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. They're standing in front of him. He's pointing them out. There were scribes in verse number 39 that had just said, Then certain of the scribes answered and said, Master, thou hast well said, They're scribes standing there. They're talking and interacting. And Jesus ends this section by pointing to those scribes and telling the people, don't listen to those guys. Beware of those scribes. They will receive greater damnation from God. So Jesus Christ, on the temple platform preaching the gospel, teaching, addressing the situation in front of him, warning people about false teachers. This has never been more needed than in our day, because the spirit of our day is to never question another's beliefs. Don't ever mention somebody by name in a derogatory way. Don't ever call out a religious leader and warn people to not follow that religious leader and call them out by name. Even though the book of Romans ends by saying, mark them which cause division contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. How do you mark a person? You identify that person who it is. Mark them out. Say, that one's the one I'm talking about. They're preaching false doctrine. Don't listen to them. Mark them which cause division contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. And so what Jesus Christ is doing is he's marking out false teachers. He's identifying who they are, and he's warning people not to follow the false teachers. All in a gospel context of preaching the gospel to the lost. Jesus hadn't changed. He's an immutable God. And this has never been more important than in a day in which the spirit of our age is that you never question somebody else's beliefs. That everyone has a right to their own truth. Nobody has 
the right to question or contradict somebody's truth. Can I share something with you? Jesus doesn't believe that. And Jesus' practice was the exact opposite of that. And Jesus is immutable. And if he were here today, he would not follow the spirit of the age in which we live. Now, do we really care what Jesus thinks? Do we really want to be like Jesus and follow him? Well, many don't. Many today don't want to follow Jesus Christ. And so they want to remake Jesus Christ into somebody that they are more comfortable with rather than look at the whole counsel of the Word of God and understand who Jesus Christ really is. Here's the bottom line up front on your little worksheet. You can't challenge Jesus and win. You realize that? You cannot challenge Jesus Christ and win. He is over your head in wisdom and knowledge and expertise. And if you try to match your wits against the wits of Jesus Christ and challenge him, you're not going to win the situation. And we learned that from this passage today. Well, in front of these people, Jesus Christ is going to deal with the opposition that's against him. These religious leaders that want to remove him from their city. And there are three groups that are opposing Jesus. The first, first two groups are the real opponents. The third is, is more of an appeal from Jesus Christ that I think you'll, you'll um, appreciate in just a moment. But who were the groups that were, that were opposing Jesus Christ? Well, the first group were those of a devious character. Why do I say folks of a devious character? Because that's what the Bible says in verse 19 and 20. Uh, The religious leaders who were attacking Jesus Christ, they looked for spies. People that would fame themselves as just men. People who would present themselves as just men who they could use To try to trap Jesus Christ in something he would say. Why do they want to trap Jesus in something that he would say? Because they want to alert the Roman authorities that they have an insurrectionist in their midst. That's rousing the people's sentiments against Rome. And if you Roman soldiers know what's good for you, you will arrest this man, get rid of him before he causes a riot. Here in Jerusalem, verse number 20 said that they might take hold of his words that so they might deliver him under the power and authority of the governor. These were devious people who are going to use politics to try to trap Jesus Christ behind the spies. These devious characters are the religious leaders that Jesus Christ had just fired. They are the. Scribes and Pharisees, the chief priests. Matthew's account mentions that they were the Pharisees as well. And they acquired the spies and set them up to trap Jesus Christ. And so they, they begin in verse 21. They ask him, saying, Master, we know thou, that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the persons of any, but teachest the way of God truly. They, they butter up Jesus, tell him what a great guy he is. How wonderful a teacher he is. Once they get him all buttered up, 
Then they pop the, tra- the, the trap, the, the trick question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or no? What's, what is that all about? You see, one of the biggest problems between the Roman government and the Jewish population was Roman taxation. As a matter of fact, Josephus, the historian that recorded the history of Rome and, and Israel at the time of Christ, Josephus tells us that there was a Jewish leader who not long before Jesus had begun to propagate the teaching that to take money that you have earned off God's land, you know, you've grown crops off God's land, you have produced wheat or olive oil, you have sold the the, the produce of God's land. If you take that resource and you take a part of it and pay taxes to the oppressive Roman government, that is sin. And this particular Jewish leader had caused quite a stir in Israel through his teaching, and he got quite a following of people that were following his teaching that it is sinful as a Jewish person to take the resources that you earned off the land of God and take God's money and give it to the oppressive Roman government, that is sin. It became such a problem that Rome stepped in, arrested the guy, and stopped an insurrection. That had happened in recent history. And so they get some spies, they prep the spies, they present them to Jesus Christ, and their question is the same question that that previous religious leader had gotten arrested over. Why? Because the The religious leaders want Jesus arrested. They want the Roman authorities to arrest Jesus. That's what they're trying to accomplish. And they use politics to try to have an excuse to capture and arrest Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ saw right through it. He's God. He sees through everything. And so in verse number 23, he perceived their craftiness and he said, why are you tempting me? He said, somebody bring me a penny. And they took the coin, the Roman coin. He said, whose image is on that coin? It was the image of Caesar. And Jesus Christ said, you know, there's some things in life that pertain to this world. There are things that pertain to this world. Most of you drove to church in an automobile on a road that you don't own. And, you, and you're happy to pay tax. Well, you may not be happy to amount, but you're happy to pay taxes To pay somebody to build that road so you can drive on that road. You know, there's some things that just pertain to life in this world. And Jesus Christ said, for heaven's sakes, pay your taxes that are used to take care of the things of this world. But make sure that you take care of God's world with the things that are God's. Well, that stumped them. Roman authorities aren't going to arrest Jesus over this. Verse 26 says they, they couldn't take hold of his, of his words. And they marveled at his answer. And they shut their mouths. They held their peace. They didn't say anything else. And so the first group stepped forward to try to trap Jesus with a political question. But you can't challenge Jesus and win. And so they got real quiet. And then a second group came forward. In verse number 27, the Bible says, Then came to him certain of the Sadducees, which deny 
that there is any resurrection. Now, the Sadducees were a group of Jewish leaders, religious leaders, that denied the supernatural. What do we call people who claim to be Christians but deny the supernatural today? They don't believe in heaven and hell. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe that Peter walked on the water. They don't believe in anything supernatural. We call them what? Liberals. They are into religious liberalism. They don't believe in the supernatural. They deny the resurrection of Christ. They deny the, the, the teachings of the Bible that are supernatural in nature. They strip the Bible of its supernatural character and make it a book of morals and stories to, to help us learn moral lessons for life. Well, that's, where this, that's the Sadducees. They were the liberals, the theological liberals of their day. And God points out here in the record of Scripture that these Sadducees deny the resurrection. That's important in the discussion that's going to ensue. Now, something else about the Sadducees, they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, the books that Moses wrote. They believed Genesis through Deuteronomy. They didn't believe any of the rest of the Old Testament. Moses was their hero, and they followed Moses. And so the Sadducees who deny the resurrection, who only hold the first five books of the Deuteronomy, uh, uh, books of the Bible, uh, they come to Jesus Christ and they want to talk to him about marriage in heaven. Now, they don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in resurrection. They don't believe in life after death. But they know that on the temple platform, all of the Pharisees and, and other people do believe in the supernatural. They do believe in the resurrection. So here's their prime time opportunity. They have the opportunity to try to stump Jesus and at the same time stick their finger in the eyes of all the Pharisees and scribes and people that do believe in the supernatural. And so they come up with a hypothetical situation from the book of Deuteronomy. They say to Jesus Christ in verse number 28, Master Moses. Now notice they go to Moses. He's their hero. Moses wrote unto us and they tell the story. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 25. It's a marriage arrangement that ensures the, the, uh, the lineage of Jewish People and the marriage arrangement that God required was that if a man marries and his wife does not bear him a son and and he dies, that his brother is to take his wife. And become his own wife. And the first son that she bears will not be named and will not continue the lineage and heritage of that man but will be named after and will continue the heritage of his brother that died without a male heir to his son. That was an arrangement God made. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. It's in chapter 25. And the Sadducees bring up that marriage arrangement, and then they weave a hypothetical story. The hypothetical story was that there was a, there was a, a, a family of seven brothers. And, and, and the, the eldest brother married a woman, and she was his wife, and... And uh, he died without any sons, and so his brother, next in line, took uh, the woman to be his wife and, and didn't have any male sons, and, and then he died, and, and then the next brother, and, and then seven brothers in a row. Now, now the, the moral of the story is don't marry that woman. <laughs> You're going to die. Now, that wasn't Jesus' moral of the story. 
the end of the story was that finally the woman died and in heaven. Now, Sadducees don't believe in life after death. This is a hypothetical situation that they think makes a mockery of the supernatural, makes a mockery of the idea of resurrection. And so they're sticking their finger in the eye of the Pharisees while trying to trap Jesus with a hypothetical situation. They say to Jesus, in heaven, whose wife shall she be? Since seven had her to wife. This is a silly, nonsensical question. You know, there are people, there were people that we're reading about. There are people today who will come up with silly, nonsensical questions because they think they're smarter than God and they can put God in a box and discredit God. Questions like, is God able to create a rock heavy enough that he can't even lift it? And then the liberal smugly crosses his arms and thinks, I am so smart. God is either incapable of something on one end of the question or the other. God can't be all-powerful. And so Jesus Christ takes this nonsensical question and he looks at the Sadducees and he gives them an answer. Now, Luke doesn't record one interesting statement that Jesus made that is recorded in Matthew's account of the same story. And that is, in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, Jesus' immediate response was, Ye do err not knowing the Scriptures. You know, that's a bottom line truth that Jesus Christ emphasized in the message last week. Ye do err not knowing the Scriptures. Religious Leaders must know the Bible. Religious leaders who don't know the Bible are dangerous people. They should never be in a pulpit. They should never be religious leaders. They should never be listened to or trusted by anyone. If they don't know the Bible, they profess to preach, and they are responsible to preach the whole counsel of God then they are a danger to the people who listen to them. And the Sadducees were a danger to everyone on the platform that day in Jerusalem. And Jesus called them out on it. You err not knowing the Scriptures. And then Jesus went on to explain. Very simple explanation. I mean, it's not rocket science. Jesus Christ said to, the, to them in, in, uh, in verse number... 34, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they that shall be accounted worthy. By the way, you know the only ones that go to heaven are those that are accounted worthy of heaven. You know how you become accounted worthy of heaven? You stop trying to earn it on yourself and you bow before Jesus Christ, who is worthy of heaven. And died to take your place and suffer your hell. And give you his place and allow you to be worthy of heaven through the value and righteousness and worth of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said, those that shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection of the dead, they don't get married in heaven. They don't live as husband and wife in heaven. Now, I, I'm sorry to have to break this to you, Tim and Megan, but. You know, at your stage, I know you can't imagine heaven not being married. 
I got news for you. In heaven, you're not going to be married. Okay? It's just not, that's just not what it is in heaven. In heaven, we don't live as married couples with husbands and wives. We don't bear children in heaven. I know that's a big disappointment to Mormon theology. But it's the reality of Jesus Christ's teaching that we don't marry, we don't have children. That's not what heaven's about. Neither can they die anymore. We don't die in heaven. We live forever. And we live forever in that way equal to the angels who don't die. We are the children of God being children of the resurrection. Now, Jesus can't help himself. I just, I just love. Don't you love Jesus Christ? When you, when you begin to read how he handled people, how he dealt with people, how he dealt with situations. Jesus Christ talking to a group of liberals who don't believe in the supernatural, who, be, who trust Moses, but nothing else in the, in the Bible. Jesus said, and by the way, verse number 37, now that the dead are raised. Moses showed at the bush. He uses, the, he uses that portion of Scripture that the Sadducees believe. He uses the leader that they revere. And Jesus Christ said, you know something, Sadducees? There is a resurrection from the dead. Moses called God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not the God of dead people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. And God is still their God today. And at the burning bush, God declared that He is the God of the living. He is the God of those who never die because of the relationship to God through Jesus Christ. He had to stick His finger in the eye of the Sadducees for trying to stick their finger in the eye of the Pharisees. He combated religious liberalism and made it clear that there is a supernatural element that is true. Let me ask you. Do you believe in the supernatural? How sure are you that heaven is real? How sure are you that hell is real? Do you really believe in life after death? Do you really believe that a hundred years from now you will be somewhere very conscious, very aware, very alive, aware of who you are and where you are? Do you believe in life beyond the grave? If you don't, you're a theological liberal. You're the enemy of Jesus Christ. And he challenged people to not listen to you. And believe what you believe. Because what you believe is in error and false. There are still people today who can put together some silly little question. That they think in their superior wisdom puts God in a box. Let me remind you, you can't challenge Jesus Christ and win. Well, Jesus Christ's opponents had had enough. Verse number 39 one of the scribes, the scribes did believe in the resurrection, so the scribe kind of liked it that the Sadducee got told off by Jesus. The scribe kind of, that made him feel better when Jesus said what he said about the Sadducees and that they were wrong 
in their denial of the resurrection. So a scribe spoke up and said, hey, master, thou hast well said. Way to go, Jesus. High five. That was good, Jesus. I like that one. Now, in a minute, he's going to turn around to that same scribe and say, beware that guy. But right now, the scribe is high-fiving Jesus and pretty excited that what, about what Jesus said. And verse 40 said that nobody asked Jesus Christ any more questions. They, they realized you can't outsmart Jesus Christ. False religious teachers are real. They've always been around. We're not to view them as innocent or as, uh, as people who are harmless. They do lead people to hell. They are to be opposed. Jesus opposed them, and he's immutable. If he were here, he would oppose them by name today. And so Jesus said, okay, you're finished with your questions? I've got a question for you. I love this. Jesus Christ, in his grace and his mercy... Standing in front of a crowd of people who involve unsaved people, some of his own followers, and the religious leaders of Jerusalem that are leading that generation to hell. And Jesus Christ said, I got a question for you. And the question Jesus has for them is a question that requires them individually to wrestle with whether or not they believe Jesus Christ really is who he claimed to be. Jesus said in verse number 41, by the way, I call this group those who just don't know God's word. They're not antagonistic necessarily. They just don't know. They're ignorant. You know, we live in a world of ignorant people. They just don't know. They need somebody to tell them. They need somebody to share with them truth. The people opposing Jesus that he has just dealt with will lead them to hell. And Jesus wants to give them hope. And so Jesus asks them a question. In verse number 41, he said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son? He said, Would you put your thinking cap on for a minute? Would you think with me for a minute? Why do you say the Messiah will come through the lineage of David? Because David himself said in Psalms, it's actually in Psalm 110, David himself spoke of God the Father talking to the Messiah. David David himself in the book of Psalms said, The Lord said to my Lord, here's David saying, The Lord said to my Lord. We would say that in our New Testament understanding of theology, of the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father said to Jesus, God the Son, who is the Messiah. God said to my Lord, to the Messiah. 
sit thou on my right hand? Who's at the right hand of God the Father? If you know your Bible, you know who's at the right hand of God the Father. Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies, the Messiah. Sitting at the right hand of God has enemies. Sit here until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, if David, King David, recognized that God the Father said to God the Son, the Messiah, sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool, how is it that they say that Christ is David's son? If the Messiah was alive and well before David was born... How could the Messiah be David's son? Verse 44, David therefore calleth him Lord. How is he then his son? What was Jesus doing? The whole essence of their salvation is hanging on the question, Who is Jesus Christ? The religious leaders want to kill him. They want to trap him in some word, some sentence that they can rush off to Rome and say to the Roman governor, get rid of this guy before he causes an insurrection in Jerusalem. The issue is, who is Jesus Christ? That is still the issue. Who is Jesus Christ? And God, in His love and mercy for the lost people standing in front of them, who have listened to these false teachers, who are being led to hell, who are now listening to Jesus preach the gospel and teach, this is the last day He will teach on the temple platform. Tomorrow He stays in Bethany all day, and Judas makes a deal with the chief priests to turn over Jesus When no one's around. And Jesus stays in Bethany and rests. And spends his last day with Martha, Mary and Lazarus. Thursday he'll come back to Jerusalem. But it won't be to teach on the platform. He'll come back to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. With his apostles in the upper room. He'll be arrested late into the night. Between Thursday and Friday. He'll be crucified. Put in a tomb. Resurrected on Sunday. This is his last time of teaching on the temple platform. And with a heart full of mercy, a heart full of love with the unsaved people that are being led to hell by false religious teachers, Jesus Christ has pulled the cover off their phoniness. He has declared them to not know the Bible they profess to teach. And then he says to the unsaved in front of him, Do you understand your Bible? Can you explain to me from your Bible? Why does your Bible say the Messiah who is eternally existent is David's son? There's only one answer to that. God became man. God left 
the right hand of the Father, was born of a virgin, became human, entered into humanity, that he might be man, that he might represent mankind, that he might live as a man for 33 and a half years without ever committing a sin, with no reason to die, that he could take my sin upon his back, that he could go to the cross of Calvary and die in my place and offer me the deal of a lifetime. I'll take your place and suffer your hell for you on Calvary. And I'll give you my place and you can be a member of the family of God for all of eternity. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to join a certain church for it. You don't have to get baptized for it. You don't have to count any rosary beads for it. You don't have to do any of that stuff for it. What you have to do is come to the realization that you don't deserve heaven regardless who you are and what you've done. You are a sinner. And as a sinner, you can never go to heaven. And it's because of that dilemma that you're in that I left heaven. I, who was David's Lord, became David's son. That I might live and die for you. If you will ask me, I'll make you a member of my family. Jesus, in his last teaching on the temple platform, appealed to the lost. It's all about me. And he did it in the context of naming calling out and condemning false religious leaders. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he was here today, he would use the same methodology. He would do the same lessons. He would do the same thing today that he did 2,000 years ago. Because he is immutable, unchangeable God. And then he closed his time one last revelation of the danger of false teachers he said beware the scribes and then he described what they do they love greetings in the markets that they love to walk around in long robes notice their clothing as religious leaders they were ostentatious in their clothing to draw attention to how reverent and spiritual they are. They love to be seen of men. They love to be honored and worshipped. They love the greetings in the marketplace. Oh, Rabbi. Oh, Father. Oh, right, reverend, holy, honorable, whatever. They love the ostentatious greetings. They wanted the highest seats in the synagogues where everyone could, whoa, look at them. They're so spiritual. But you know what they're known for? They're known for taking advantage of people. And you can read, you can study it out, the history of the religious leaders of Jerusalem and what they did to widows in their day. And how they profited off from widows. They devoured widows' houses, Jesus said. 
the same shall receive greater damnation. There's a reason why in the book of James, the Bible tells us that we're to be careful about being willing to be a teacher. Because we receive the greater condemnation. Someone who opens the Bible and teaches others are held to a higher degree of accountability by God. Jesus said, beware. Beware the scribes. They want you to think better of them than they really are. And they will be judged severely for it when they stand before God. What are the takeaways? On the bottom of your little sheet there, the takeaways are this. False religious leaders have always been a problem. We read about them throughout the Bible. And it may be out of sync in today's culture, but in a real world of a God who never changes, religious leaders are a problem. They're a problem in South Riding right now. Number two, we need to be warned to beware such false leaders. Regardless of the spirit of our age, God calls Bible preachers to warn people of false teachers who peddle false theology. We need to be warned. Number three, such leaders are dangerous because they don't know their Bible. Or whatever they do know, they reject in order to just tickle people's ears and receive the favor of the applaud of their followers. And finally, Jesus holds out one more offer to believe God's word about who he is. Those are great takeaways from this story. Gospel-centered takeaways to this story. How about you? How do you know which religious leaders are true and which ones are false? How well are you able to protect your family from false religious leaders? You remember the, the people who lived in Berea when Paul arrived there on his second missionary journey? The Bible says in Acts 17, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things are so. Do you search the scriptures as to whether or not what you heard a preacher say is really what the Bible says? These in Berea are more noble because they were anxious to receive the Word of God, with a readiness to receive it, but they didn't take it blindly. They then searched their Bible to find out if it was true or not. We need to know our Bibles so that we're not led astray by false teachers. Important takeaways.